welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Joining me today is filmmaker Conrad Weaver from Emmitsburg, Maryland. Mr. Weaver didn't plan to focus on heroin for his latest project. In fact, His first documentary, The Great American Wheat Harvest, followed the migration of farmers and their families from Texas to the Canadian border during harvest season. It wasn't until he noticed a friend's Facebook post that he began to focus on the impact of the heroin epidemic on his community. As we begin, Mr. Weaver talks about what drove him to create his compelling documentary, Heroin's Grip. Living in my neighborhood, you know, I'm not one that was directly impacted personally with this, uh, with this subject, but seeing it in the news over and over again, and then hearing a personal story from a friend of mine whose son got caught up in this and spent some years in prison and just really struggled with, with heroin addiction, made me think, you know, I really need to do something and I want to get involved. And so... Um, with, uh, the green light of my, of my wife, she green lights, my projects, um, we decided to dive into this and I spent two years of my life hanging out with people I never thought I'd hang with. And it changed me. How so? It really, you know, I was one of these people who didn't understand addiction and didn't understand why or how people became addicted. And I was one of those people who would say, well, how hard can it be? Why don't they just quit? You know, if the, the, your addiction is causing all these problems in your life, why don't you just stop using? And once I became friends with some of these folks who were in active addiction and folks that are in recovery and begin to understand some of the things that go on with, a, with an addictive mindset uh, or a person, you know, addictive personality and some of the, the medical things that go on in the brain, specifically with opioid addiction, I began to really change my thoughts about these people and I, and I began and I came to realize that these are human beings who have family, who have loved ones, who want them whole, who want them complete, who want them back home. And these are most of these individuals don't want to be doing this. And it, totally transformed my thoughts about people in addiction. It, it transformed my, you know, attitude toward them. And that's really, I guess, why I'm glad I made this film, because it, it first of all, changed me. Well, it's one heck of a film, and it's just so real and so gripping, the, uh, the stories of the families, uh, the individuals that are struggling with this disease that you've lighted. Let's jump into one of those stories. Let's talk a little bit about Sean. Sean is a young man. He's in his mid-30s now, and he actively used uh, drugs and alcohol for more than 15 years of his life, spent many of those years locked up 
for the bad decisions and bad choices he made along the way. Um, he ended up also, uh, and because of those bad decisions, losing an eye. And so he has a prosthetic eye. Uh, and But he has come out of that, and he is now uh, he's nearly four years sober and doing amazing things in our community. He is helping people get into treatment. He is, he's got more friends who are actively using than probably anybody I know. Wow. Still to this day, even after what he's, what he's been through. Yeah. Yes. He has people reaching out to him nonstop, almost 24 hours a day on his phone because he works so hard to get them the help that, that they need. And he has a, has a passion for this. In fact, he just quit his day job to do this full time. And, uh, he, he opened up a couple of sober living homes and also on the board of the Phoenix Foundation, who is working to bring a recovery high school into our community. And so he's really passionate about helping others to help them to not go down the path that he went down. And so we featured a piece of his story in our film. And he was a very key player in the film as far as helping me understand and understand addiction, helping me understand the lifestyle these folks live and the, and, and, the, and the challenges they have, but then also connecting me to people. Uh, since he, he knows so many people in our community, he was able to connect me with a lot of, uh, you know, a variety of people who were willing then to open up their hearts and lives to, to the camera. In the beginning of, of your piece here, um, you, you tell the stories of uh, these people that um, are really struggling with addiction. And you expose some things that I've never seen before. And I've talked to quite a few people that have struggled with this disease. Um, but to get somebody on film to candidly, just like Joey, he just came out of overdosing. And he talks about his reaction to that. The first time it happened, I was with my girlfriend at the time and, you know, another guy that I went to school with and we were at the McDonald's and I guess I went out. I don't remember anything. All I remember is waking up to the sound of my girlfriend's voice telling me she over repeating, repeating over and over that she loved me. And I just kind of came to and I was like, you know, I love you too. Like, what's going on? And she's just sitting there in tears. and. I had no recollection of what was going on, you know, I just, my thing was, I'm ready to get high again. Share that for a second. That was, that was kind of shocking. Yeah, it was. You know, Joey is a young man who, you know, struggled, you know, for you, for many years with addiction. Uh, he, he didn't say this on camera, but he lost an uncle, his mother, um, a number of close family members to overdose. Uh, his father is, uh, is in recovery as well. And Joey went through uh, several, well, he went through the drug court program and, and he talks very candidly about when he was in the middle of his run, I guess, uh, he, he would run down to Baltimore up to eight times a day. He would go to, go to Baltimore, cop dope, come back, shoot up at the McDonald's, spend a few hours, then he would run back to Baltimore. It's really sad and just how how he said you know i did i want to go back to you know go back to baltimore time and time again well uh, ultimately no but that's what addiction did to me yeah the hijacked mind yeah 
no doubt. The other thing that your film captures and captures so dramatically is the impact on children. And you do that through Sophia's eyes. My mom, she would usually be there always because she didn't have a job back then. So usually I would see her on the couch, laying there asleep. Or she would be up in her room, laying down asleep. I was so consumed by using. It, it took over everything, it controlled everything. I thought it was my fault sometimes. Because <laughs> I would see her just laying there, I would think that I was being too harsh or something. So I would sit there and I would try to say, I would wait for her to wake up and I was gonna say sorry, but then we just start doing things, for example, start playing. But she would usually just watch me. Wow, Sophia was uh, a, a little girl, 10 years old. And ironically, when we sat down with her, um, her mother never heard the words that came out of Sophia's mouth. The first time her mother heard Sophia tell this story was when we sat down with the camera. And Sophia just tells a story about, about what she was feeling and thinking as she was watching her mom use heroin. And her mom would be locked in the bathroom for an hour or two, you know, shooting up, uh, sleeping on the couch, not responsive, you know, unresponsive. And Sophia in her 10-year-old mind thought, this is my fault. I'm the, I'm, I'm the cause of you know, my mommy doing this. Which is a natural reaction for a 10-year-old. And that's what makes that your film so powerful in telling that story and telling, showing right there in front of your eyes the damage that that causes to poor, you know, the young child. My wife is, a, is, is an educator and, and she's an assistant principal and she sees it at, at, at the middle school level and these, these young people whose lives are just in tatters because their mom or their dad, you know, they come home from school. They don't know if their parents going to be alive. And I remember one afternoon, uh, and we don't show this in the film, but this is kind of an aside. One afternoon, uh, my wife had come home from work, from school, and about 530, she gets a call from school and says, hey, this one young man is still here. What shall I do? And so he walks home and they followed him home. And my wife said, I knew his mother was a heroin addict. And he had tried to call, tried to call, tried to call. He said, we didn't know what we would find. You know, so, you know, fortunately that time mom was alive. She was just asleep. But this is what these kids go through day in and day out. A lot of the scenes, the individual scenes and the comments from your film just, just struck me. Uh, as being so powerful and, and catching um, tragic moments, really, on, on film. And, and so here, here's another one, Jamal. I remember being, being in the eighth grade, and my principal asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I told him a drug dealer. called me a loser, and I cried and I cussed him out. But at the whole time, I was hiding what I really was feeling. I knew my mother and father was drug addicts, and actually I was embarrassed behind that. Boy, that's tragic on so many different levels. Share that story with us. So Jamal is an African-American, uh, grew up in you know, inner city uh, Frederick. Frederick is the second largest city in Maryland. It doesn't appear that large, but it's, uh, 
it's got uh, some really rough areas of town, and he grew up in one of the roughest areas. And his parents were were drug dealers, and that's the culture he grew up in, in the neighborhood. But he said, inside, I hurt because that felt so bad. I knew my parents were drug dealers, and that just felt so bad, you know. And so it was out of that pain that, you know, he went down the same path that his parents went down and ended up using for years. And now he's been sober for two or three years and uh, you know, also doing just amazing things in the community. And uh, as really, he, he's just a fun guy. And actually, we're having a little get together here at our house in a couple of weeks. And he's coming and I can't wait for you know, to see him again. And um, just to, to break that family cycle, I think, is so powerful and so needed, you know, in these generations of young people who grew up in that culture. Boy, no doubt about it. Through all of the tragedy that you've witnessed, you've, it's amazing the number of people that you've interviewed as part of this documentary that have survived and, in fact, today are, are thriving. That's tremendous. Um, because you get to a certain point, and boy, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, because you never know which way it's going to go. It can even some of the the folks that are doing great now. You know, one thing Sean says. You know, he said, "I'm just one bad decision away from being found in a bathroom with a needle in my arm and having to be hit with Narcan." You know, I'm one bad decision away from getting handcuffs on my wrist because of bad choices I've made because of drugs and alcohol. It just takes one. It just takes one mess up, and we're back in it. You profiled one mom who was really close to her daughter, and she knew her daughter was struggling with this. She wanted to keep it under wraps and felt as though they could manage it and they'd be fine. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. Well, Shannon um, is a mom who had uh, had a young, a beautiful young teenage daughter who, at 15 years old, began experimenting with, uh, with drugs and specifically with Oxycontin. And that soon, uh, led to a full on heroin addiction. And it was because of another mom at school who gave her a call, who gave Shannon a phone call and said, Hey, do you know, I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but I heard that your daughter's using drugs. And, and Shannon was just flabbergasted and she had no idea. And she said she went and got a, a drug kit that night uh, from the drugstore. And when her daughter came home, she drug tested her. And he said it, it showed up as opiates. And she said, I didn't even know what an opiate was. And one thing led to another. And they got Alyssa into drug treatment. And that went on. Uh, she... I became sober and then some while later uh, started using again. And at 17 years old, she, uh, Shannon was kind of beside herself, didn't know what to do. So she called the authorities and said, can you just charge her with something just to lock her up because she needs help? And so they did. And the arresting officer uh, was, is also featured in my film. And, and he tells that story, which is really, really compelling. But Shannon said, you know, I, I was I didn't know what to do. So I just I wanted them to take her away so that she can get help. And so they did. And she got sober and was uh, under house arrest, was sent back home after she went through treatment, was sober for about 90 days. 
and uh, they were at home one night and just talking about the future. She was four days away from getting her ankle bracelet taken off and being out from under house arrest. Four days. And they were talking about that and just having a great time watching a movie and just talking about the future. On June 3rd, it was a Friday night. We sat together, watched a movie, had a great night together. We talked about her birthday that was just around the corner. She'd be 18. All the things she wanted to do and go to the beach and all the stuff she wanted to do that she had missed out on. She was 90 days clean. She was very proud of the fact that she was 90 days clean. And we kissed goodnight and she went to bed. The next morning when I went to wake her up, I found her in her bed. We tried to, to do what we can, but we were too late. She had received a text message, several text messages. After going through her phone, we discovered from a dealer who texted her by mistake, supposedly. It must have been her trigger. It's the only thing that we can explain, you know, that it's just this disease is so powerful. And she kissed her goodnight, and the next morning she went to her room to get her, to take her to one of her meetings, and Alyssa was dead. And after they did some research, they discovered that on Alyssa's phone, there was a number of text messages from a dealer. And that evening, after everybody went to bed, he brought over heroin, and Alyssa overdosed. That's, that's incredibly tragic. So I understand that her mom, despite all of this, um, went in the opposite direction uh, while, while their daughter was with her and they were struggling with this, wanting to keep everything under, under wraps, to just the opposite, being very outspoken and a leader in the community uh, for prevention. She, um, through much encouragement from people around her, she... Uh, first got involved in a support group and with actually another couple of who's, who's featured in my film. And through the encouragement of those folks, she spoke at a very large assembly a couple of years ago here in our town. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that really began the healing process for her. And the more she speaks, the more she speaks out, she says it's it's really a way for her to bring closure and healing for her own uh, just the hurt that she went through from losing her daughter, and she is passionate about being a voice in the community, to sharing her story, to encourage others, to support those who are struggling, uh, to just to be a voice of of hope. And in one of the lines she says in my film, and is she says, not everyone has to go through what we went through. And there is hope. And so she has really turned this around from at first wanting to hide it and not let anybody know because we have the perfect little family to, you know what, I'm going to put it all out on the table. I mean, first of all, she was willing to sit in front of the camera and, and tell this story. And then now to come to assembly she's she spoke actually we had a screening of the film a couple of weeks ago at a high school in the evening and she was one of the panelists following the screening and so she talked and she tells her story uh, 
and is really bringing hope and in healing to others who are struggling with this problem. And she's a bright spot, I think, in in your film. And you've got several messages that uh, that bring hope in the film. I, I think there are a number of themes kind of resonating through um, through this piece, uh, particularly towards the end. You've got more and more hope that that end comes into play. Um, can you comment on that? Yeah, you know, I wanted to have a film that shows the dark side. And I always like to say you have to go through the darkness to see the light. And so, but I wanted to emphasize the light. I wanted to emphasize the hope because there is hope. There's hope for those caught in addiction. Uh, so we show people who are, who have come through that and are working their program. They're working their recovery. They're, they're reaching out to others. They're doing amazing things in the community. They're helping others and they're being successful at staying sober and at uh, helping others uh, who are caught in addiction. So I wanted to show that that recovery is possible. It is possible to get through this and to have a healthy life, to have a meaningful life and not have to go down through the destruction that that addiction can bring. And then I also want to show that there is hope for those family members who are in the middle of this or who have lost a loved one. Um, and there are resources. One of the families that we feature in our film, they lost their son about four years ago. That family is Ed and Karen Schilt, who lost their son Chris to an opioid overdose in June of 2016. More on their story can be found at chrisforrecovery.com. They are doing so much in our community. They have a number of support groups that they offer to the local local population. They have a support groups for families who have lost their loved ones. They've got a support for families who are in the middle of this right now and who are struggling with their uh, loved one uh, in addiction. And so they have really turned their tragedy into something that is beautiful. And I wanted to show that. We don't go really deep into that story, but we highlight it briefly toward the end. But I really felt strongly that there's so many films like this that just, you know, death and destruction. And which that's there, but I wanted to emphasize that there is light, there is hope for everyone. And, uh, and I think we have accomplished that in some way with this story. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, it, uh, a lot of hope was, uh, was given towards the end of it. And, um, you know, you have people speaking out, talking about the things that made a difference for them in this journey towards finding recovery and finding sobriety. One of those themes was uh, one gentleman, I believe that was uh, Sean, that mentioned how his home group really saved his life. What other takeaways would, uh, would you like uh, the viewers of this documentary to, uh, to leave with? You know, I think I really made the film for someone like me, someone who's uninformed about addiction, who is looking at it from the outside saying, how hard can that be? I want people to understand the depth of the struggle that these families are going through. We had a screening at a local church a couple months ago, and uh, a gentleman came up to me afterwards, and, and one of the families in our film uh, attends this church, and he said, you know, I sit behind that family every Sunday. I never knew the depth of their struggle. I never knew what they were going through. And I think part of the challenge of addiction, and we, we bring this out in the film, that so many times when someone uh, is 
is diagnosed with cancer or diagnosed with some other uh, illness, we rally around them and we send them food. We send them cards. We start GoFundMe accounts to help them through their struggle. When, but when it's addiction, we push them away. We say, go get help. You know, I'll talk to you when you're better. And I want to change that. I want to change that, that message that we need to rally around those who are struggling. You know, you know, part of my, my vision for this film was that, okay, I started out saying it is their problem. It's not their problem. It's our problem. And it, it becomes my community's problem. You know, my neighbor down the street, literally just a few doors down from me, their daughter got caught up with addiction. So that not only becomes their problem, but it's my problem. It, it's our problem. And we need to work together as a community, as a people to help each other along the way to solve these problems. And I think if we would be more, you know, get out from behind our screens more and do more face-to-face interaction, I think some of these things might be easier to alleviate and we would see more support uh, in our communities for people who are caught in addiction. And it wouldn't become such a a stigma of people saying, you know, I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to be embarrassed. But let's be open about it. If, If I can help my neighbor who is struggling because they are going to treatment for their cancer down at Johns Hopkins, I can also help my neighbor who whose son or daughter is off to a 30-day treatment center. And I can be there to support them as well. So, and you're doing just that as you take your film across the country and show it, have private showings with different groups, right? Prior to its general release. Yes, correct. Yeah, we're booking events all around the country. It just uh, was... We have an event uh, next week on uh, May 17th. They're in Akron at, at the chapel. And the folks there at, at, at that church were very generous and willing to bring the film in. So we're looking for a big event there at 7 p.m. on the set on May 17th. We're talking to folks in Texas and Florida and Maine and Wisconsin and Colorado and South Carolina, New Jersey, um, all over the area about bringing this film in. And I get emails nearly every day asking for this film to come to their community. I think too many times we say, well, we need to raise awareness. Well, we're all aware. It's now time to educate. We need to educate people. And that's really what the, the hope for this film is. Let's bring it into communities. But I want to bring local organizations together to provide local resources. So we like to put on a two-hour program. The film's a little over an hour long. And following the film, we always like to have a panel of experts on the stage to talk about our local resources, to talk about these issues from a local standpoint. Outstanding. So if other communities wanted to get in touch with you, Conrad, how would they do that to schedule a similar event for their community? Sure. We make it very easy. If you go to our website, it's heroinsgrip.com, heroinsgrip.com. There's a button on the top right that says get screening information. If you click on that button, a page will open where you can fill out your information, your name and your phone number, your email, and uh, leave me a note as to what you envision for your event. And we will get back to you. Uh, within a day or two to, uh, to talk to you about that. Conrad, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. We've been joined today by Conrad Weaver, who is the producer and uh, developer of a innovative film, a documentary called Heroin's Grip. 
And if you get an opportunity, I highly recommend it. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.